community Bible experience. Uh, remember, we have, we have read over the Gospel of John, and that's the most unique Gospel of them all. And that is the reason this morning that uh, the title of my sermon is Three Choices. The three choices we have to choose Jesus as our Lord, or was he a liar, or was he a lunatic, with respect to the claims that he made in the Gospel of John. Like no other Gospel, John's Gospel enumerates many claims that Jesus made about himself. And they were controversial in their day, for sure. And they are as controversial today as they were then. Because he talked about, essentially, the deity of his being, the Son of God, and the significance of what that meant. And so I want us this morning to consider the claims of Christ. That's going to be the thrust of what we're going to preach about this very day. And that's going to be the focus, examining those claims in the light of John's Gospel. You know, we could expand this throughout the whole Bible, but we would be here for several weeks preaching. I don't think you want to do that. So this morning we're going to focus very briefly and succinctly on the Gospel of John regarding what Jesus said about himself. And then we're going to talk about the three choices we have of whether we believe him to be the Son of God, our Lord, or whether he was completely insane, as the Pharisees claimed that he was. He was demonically possessed. Or they said, you must be a Samaritan. You're so far off base. But basically, the claims of Jesus were very clear and very uh, succinct in what they had to say for us regarding our salvation through him and in him. And lastly, we're going to talk about that trilemma as C.S. Lewis kind of popularized, popularized this in, in the Second World War as he was delivering some radio addresses and also in his book called Mere Christianity. He talked about the dilemma, or the trilemma, I should say, the three choices we have of considering Jesus as Lord or considering him as lunatic or a liar. We have to make a choice whether we want to or not. We're going to do that. So let's examine very briefly this morning the scriptures from the Gospel of John as they relate to what Jesus claimed about himself. First of all, he came from heaven. He claimed to come from the Father. And he said in John chapter 3, verse 13, No one has descended to heaven, but he who, who has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That was his clear enunciation of his coming, of where he came from. He came from heaven because he was sent by the Father. He also came in John 3:16 and 17 to save the world. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so he made it clear that he came to save the world because of God's compelling love, providing a way of salvation to us. That's a verse of scripture all of us know. That's a very succinct and clear claim that Jesus made. <coughs> he also came that we might pass 
from death unto life. And he said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So Jesus made it clear that the way that death was going to be conquered was going to be through him. He is the way. God sent him to do that so that we might have and fulfill the promise of eternal life. He also came in the Father's name. I have come in my Father's name, (coughs) and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And the Pharisees kept asking him, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a a couple of more slides. Where do you come from? By what authority are you saying these things? By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus made it clear that he came from the Father, and he had a mission. As it said in Luke, (coughs) he came to to, to seek and to save those who were lost. Can I ask a favor of Rita? Would you mind getting uh, something for me to drink? I'm recovering from a cold that's been hanging on, actually a sinus infection, since the last full week of October. And as a consequence, thank you. (laughs) Wow. That's what I call responsive. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much, Frank. I apologize. I thought I could probably get this done without... uh, losing my voice, but it doesn't appear that that might be the case, but just bear with me for a moment. Okay, he said, I come in the Father's name, and in John 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 43, I come in my Father's name, and you will not receive me. If another comes in in his name, you will receive him. So the Jews were very concerned about in whose name this man named Jesus was coming. And they kept questioning him about that, as you read through John in the last couple of days of uh, this last past week. He also said, I come as the bread of life. And in chapter 6, verses 35 and 48 and 51, he said this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger And he who believes in me will never thirst. And again, there in verse 48, he said, I am the bread of life. And he said also, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the rest, for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. This was an offensive thing that he said. Because he was talking about giving his flesh and that his flesh was the bread of life. And some were so offended by what he said during this time in chapter 6 of John that they left him. It was just too much for them to bear. They could not understand that he was talking about the spiritual bread that will satisfy completely and totally the hunger of man for the knowledge of God, for the truth about which God has shown through his Son. And that was the bread of life he was referring to. In that same verses of Scripture, he talks about his thirst. And also, in chapter 4, verse 14, he said, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. 
but the water that I will give him will become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And in chapter 7, verse 37, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, he wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about spiritual thirst. He also came to do the will of the Father. And he said in chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, he says, for I, have come, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and re- believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. What a promise Jesus makes regarding our faith and belief in him, that he will raise us up on the last day because this was God's plan from the very beginning for his son. He came as one to teach who was sent from God, not mere teacher. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But he came to teach as one who was sent by God, for he says in chapter 7, verses 16 to 17, So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. And I think it's key to understand, if anyone is willing to do his will, if we are willing to really please God, to seek Him with all of our heart, mind, and soul and strength, He will reveal His truth to us because His Holy Spirit indwells us and it is that Spirit that reveals and gives us understanding of the truth. So Jesus came as not one taught or teaching of Himself, but what He taught was of the Father. And whatever the Father said for Him to say, He said. He was perfect reflection of the Father. He came as one sent by the Father, and this is another magnification of that, when Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus was sent by the Father to seek and to save those who were lost. He came not seeking the righteous, but those who were in need of repentance. He came seeking those who were in need of salvation. He also came to give life abundantly. The thief comes only to steal, to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. In John 10.10, that's one of the verses of Scripture we all understand. We, we have an opportunity to know Jesus intimately and therefore to have the life abundant of which he spoke in John chapter 10. He further came as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, he said in John chapter 10 verses 11 and 14. So Jesus made these claims about himself, and he also clarified that the sheep know his voice. 
and they will follow him accordingly. So he came as the good shepherd to make sure that we have the pasture on which to graze, the food on which we will base our hope and love in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have the, the whole picture of him as the shepherd who is looking out for his sheep and who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He came to give life imperishable, and he said in, in, in chapter 10, verses 28-29, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. My Father, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And what we have here is a promise that the salvation that we receive in him is secure. Because he's the one who gives it. It's not dependent on us. But he says no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father's given them to him. He is not only the good shepherd. He is the one who makes sure that our salvation is imperishable. That it lasts eternally and forever. What a great insurance that is. And what a thing to consider. Not just that he's Savior, but that he's assured us that the work he's done will never be undone. It can never be destroyed. Father, he came as the light of the world. In chapter 12, verses 44 and 46, he said, as well as in chapter 8, verse 12, I'm the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. He is the one who shows God's truth who reveals it in every way. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. What a fantastic promise he makes to us, that he is the light of the world. He reveals the Father. He reveals it, and he makes sure that we are not abiding in darkness, but in the light of his truth. He furthermore spoke not of his own initiative. He spoke for the Father had told him to, and he was obedient to that. He says, for I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus did not come inventing things on his own. But everything he said was in accordance with the Father's will. Everything he mentioned, everything he promised, was according to what God had told him to do. So what he did was speak not of his initiative, but he spoke according to the Father. He also promised to come again. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. What a great promise it is. This is the Son of God making a promise regarding the salvation that we have, that we will again see him face to face. We will know him in that way. He will come in great triumph on the clouds with the sound of the trumpet. 
And Jesus will make himself known to the, knee, to the whole world, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord when he comes. He came also as the only way to God. And perhaps this is one of the most controversial, especially in this day and age, of the claims that Jesus made about himself. He said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. That is a controversial claim in the eyes of modern man especially. That Jesus could be the exclusive way to the Father, our God, and our Savior and Lord. That he alone is the way ordained by God. But so it is that he is. And so it is that we have that choice of considering whether or not when he said these words, whether he was a complete, complete lunatic, utterly insane, or whether he was just lying, or whether what he said was true. And as a consequence, this is how we should know that he is our Lord that he's the way that God ordained from the very beginning. He came that we might see the Father. And remember in the upper room when he was talking to his disciples. And they asked, you know, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to a place you can't go to. But I'm also going so that uh, you can know God has sent me. And as a consequence, they were asking that question. Show us the Father. Show us the Father. And he said this, He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So Jesus came that we might know the Father. He also came as the true vine. Uh, we are the branches, he said. And we are affixed to the vine. And he said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And further on, he said, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. So he reminds us that he's the true vine from which our life comes. Our salvation, our promise of life eternal. We are affixed to him. We are grafted in, as Paul mentioned in his, uh, in his letters uh, to the church. So we are to be... It is God's will that we understand that we are to remain in Christ because this is the way that life, his life, is produced in us. He came as the true vine. Also, he claimed to exist before the creation. Another controversial claim that really excited the Pharisees to the point that they wanted to kill him. Now, he said, Father... Glorify me together with yourself for the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was. Before creation ever began. 
Jesus existed with the Father. And this is what really upset the Pharisees. He said there in verse 8, chapter 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, but I am. Remember what God said to Moses at the burning bush? He said, who shall I say you are? And God replied, I am that I am. And this is the same words that Jesus used. Before, I, before Abraham was born, I am. I preexisted before eternity. Before eternity ever began. Before eternity will ever be, before eternity to ever be complete, it will never really be complete. But for eternity future, as well as eternity past, Jesus was with the Father. Next, he also came to testify to the truth. In John 18, verse 37, he says, Therefore Pilate said to him, So are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have, I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Remember what Pilate said in reply to that? What is truth? A skeptic's answer, if there ever, ever was one. But Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He came as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He ascended to the Father after he arose from the grave, winning victory over the death once and forevermore. And so Jesus came to testify of the truth, for all truth is resident in him. So how did they react? Those Jews, especially the Pharisees, reacted in very many different ways. It was, seeing, it was, it was kind of interesting to see the, how they progressed, because first of all, they doubted his authority. Remember that when he drove, as John gave us an account, he drove the money changers uh, from the temple, and they said, by what authority did you do this thing? Remember in the other Gospels, they asked that question, by what authority did you do this? By what authority? So they, first of all, disputed his authority. And then they began to search the scriptures. Remember the, the, one of the things that John told us this past week as you read through uh, John's gospel. That they were searching the scriptures rather fruitlessly and hopelessly, thinking that, you know, there's no, there's no prophecy that says that some prophet comes out of Galilee. Not at all. We know that uh, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, David's city. And yet they did not know him because he was born in Bethlehem. I sometimes wonder, why didn't Jesus kind of correct their misimpressions right then and there on the spot? But he chose not to. They deceived themselves by fruitlessly searching the scriptures, trying to prove that this was not the Messiah, but he was. They were loveless and toward God, and therefore the things that he said that reflected the love of God, the healings especially that he did on the Sabbath day, 
was something that uh, really offended them because they were loveless not only toward God, they were loveless toward their fellow man. And they called him a liar. Point blank, there in chapter 8, verse 13. They called him insane and demonic. It's also, it, just, it progressed, it got worse. He's blaspheming. He's healing according to Satan, if you will. They blamed everything they could, except they never gave him credit for the truth. Therefore, they sought to kill him. And many times he escaped their hand, as John said, because his time had not come. But nevertheless, they sought to kill him. They sought to stone him. And then they hated him with a passion because he told the truth. And finally, they even crucified him, given a choice between a murderer, Barabbas, or the Son of Man, the very Son of God. They chose Barabbas and shouted with passion, crucify him, crucify him. And so when we look at how they reacted, we see that there's evidence of that very thing today. It was interesting to read the counter-arguments against C.S. Lewis's trilemma. Because basically, people are saying, well, first of all, they try to denounce the veracity of the Scriptures. Well, these aren't really divinely inspired words of God. They're just... uh, Stories handed down, and some go on to even say they're fables, they're myths. They can't be believed, they can't be trusted, especially the Gospels, because as you'll see, Jesus made these claims about himself, but it was not really Jesus who was making these claims. It was the early Christians, as they wrote about him, they tried to create a legend about him, and as a consequence, they said all these things that he said that he didn't really say. And so the argument goes that you just cannot put your confidence in all these sayings that we find in John's Gospel about Jesus claiming to be the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. Those things aren't trustworthy. And so the very argument that man uses today is, first of all, to attack the Scriptures. They say it's not divinely inspired. But God says of his scriptures that all scriptures inspired are God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be adequate equipped for every good work. And as a consequence, we have to understand that the technique of the unbelievers is always to attack the source of truth as being unreliable and untrustworthy. And perhaps some argue, maybe the things that he was telling about himself were just kind of noble lies. He was a great teacher, but he told these things really kind of exaggerating who he was in order to uh, persuade them that they needed to believe and follow him. But Jesus did not do that because he said, everything I say is not of my own initiative, but everything I say is according to what The Father has told me to say, I'm obedient to his commandment, to say and to do the things that he said I should say and do. But man says today, oh no, maybe he just did these things to impress people. 
in order to, um, to make them aspire for noble things. After all, maybe he was just mistaken. Maybe he was kind of deluded, and he didn't really believe what he was saying, but he said it nonetheless because it sounded good. And then lastly, maybe he was just delusional, but he was nevertheless a great Bible teacher, a great, I should say, a teacher, a moral teacher. So they say Jesus was a good man, and he taught us many good things. He gave us great principles by which we should live, but uh, he was not all that he claimed to be himself. I think that C.S. Lewis describes it well in this small passage I want to quote from Mere Christianity, in which he says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either the man was or is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any promising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, was not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus had no intention of being renowned as a great moral teacher. He came as the only begotten Son of God to save the world from its sins. He came as the light of the world that we might be able to escape the darkness and understand the true light that comes through him and the Father who sent him. So Jesus did not come a great moral teacher. He came as one who spoke according to the Father's will and spoke the truth that meant the way of life that we come to know today as believing in him as our Savior and Lord. As he was in the upper room, he said a prayer on behalf of the disciples that is relevant to us today. It is a prayer for us as well, for those who would come to believe. And he said this, This is eternal life that you may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that you might know him, that you might that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus wanted us to know him. And so we have a choice. Do we believe that he is indeed Lord of all, as we sung this morning? Or do we believe that he was a liar? That somehow he was speaking nonsense that he was maybe exaggerating things to a silly degree, that it was not really true? Or do we think that he was completely insane? He's one of the three things, whether we want to or not, and what we have here is a choice where we have to make. Sometimes we make that choice because we believe, and there were many who heard his words of life and believed and were astounded and astonished by the things he taught because he was one who spoke with authority. 
They believed him. They trusted him as Savior. They thought he was the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. There were others, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and some of the other religious rulers who did not believe. They chose not to believe. And in our day and age, especially, we either have that choice of believing or not believing. And sometimes we think, well, I'll be just neutral, if you will. I'll be indifferent to this. And some people try to be indifferent about the claims of Christ. But let me tell you this. There's no indifference. Indifference is the same thing as unbelief. We have to believe or not believe. The choice is ours. Is he Lord? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? As C.S. Lewis tried to tell us. Even 500 plus years before he came, as Kerry mentioned to you at the close of his part of the service this morning, he made this promise through Daniel in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking at the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one, which will not be destroyed. Five hundred years before he came, Daniel saw the vision of the coming king. Not just his coming, but his coming again in glory. The Ancient of Days is the description that they made of God the Father, Jesus, the Son of Man, is our Lord. I trust that if there's anyone this morning who has not decided that you will decide once and for all who Jesus really is. Were his claims true? Was he truly sent by the Father? Is he the light of the world? Is he the only begotten one of God because he so loved the world that he gave so that we might have Life everlasting? Is he who he claims he is? We've just touched upon that very brief and succinctly some of the claims that he made about himself in John's Gospel this morning. I pray that if you have any doubts, you might read again that Gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you might decide that truly he is the Lord of all. Not only Lord of Lords, but King of Kings. He is worthy of our belief. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of all praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. For all that he claimed to be, which is in accordance with your truth and all that he is and was and will ever be. And Father, we thank you that he is truly our Savior. He has redeemed us. He has saved us from the penalty of our sins. He has indeed made it possible
for us to know you, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. And Father, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for that light that comes, that penetrates the darkness that we might believe and receive him as our Lord. We thank you, Father, for the claims that he made, bold and true, in accordance with your will. For, Father, the truth was spoken by the Son, because he spoke not of his own initiative, but according to your will. So may he become truly in every way our Lord, the Lord of our lives, in every aspect by which we live and move and have our being this very day. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.